0: Welcome to Arts Interchange, I'm Doug Storm. Today we explore the menace of secrecy with Bloomington's own Eisner and National Book Award-winning writer-artist, Nate Powell. Powell's newest book is Come Again. It's both a dream and a nightmare, set in the 1970s on a commune in the Ozarks. We're listening to David Bowie's Memory of a Free Festival from 1970, a song that makes an appearance in Come Again.
1: The children of the summer's end Gathered in the dampened grass We played our songs and felt the London sky Resting on our hands, it was Godland, It was rugged and naive, it was heaven Touch, we touch the very soul of holding each and every life We claimed the very source of joy ran through It didn't, but it seemed that way I kissed a lot of people that day
0: In addition to original graphic novels like Swallow Me Whole and Any Empire, Powell is the artist of the March series of books about John Lewis and the civil rights movement of the 1960s. You can find an interchange interview with Powell and March co-author, Andrew Iden, on our website. It's called Necessary Trouble, March and the Example of John Lewis, and it aired on September 15, 2015. And now, The Menace of Secrecy, Nate Powell on his new book, Come Again.
1: We scanned the skies with rainbow eyes and saw machines of every shape and size We talked with tall Talvanusians passing through And Peter tried to climb aboard But the captain shook his head And away they soared Climbing through the ivory vibrant crowd someone passed bliss among the crowd, and we walked back to the road, unchained.
0: Okay, so let's dive in, shall we? Uh, Nate Powell, thanks for joining me today. I'm glad to be here, thanks. Nate, you've got a new book out, Come Again. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about it to start us
2: out? Sure. Uh, it's uh, it's a work of fiction that I wrote and drew throughout doing the March trilogy and kind of spent the last year of my life devoting myself exclusively to finishing the book. It takes place in the late seventies in the Ozarks in kind of a drip, uh, dried up hippie village. And, uh, it's the story of a, a handful of families who have chosen to remain there. Uh, it's a story about, you know, changing ideals and priorities. Uh, it's about openness and privacy about secrecy, intimacy, And then there's a demon and a curse and things get really weird and dark. Oh, boy.
0: (laughs) That's a lot going on there. I I do what I can. Darkness and secrecy, though, as well. Hmm. Well, uh, you mentioned March there. Obviously, you you were working diligently and very, very hard on that series. And so is this like a, a way to sort of come off of that?
2: Throughout doing the March trilogy, I was working on something else. Concurrent with March. Mm-hmm. So for the first half of the trilogy, I was adapting a Rick Riordan, mm. you know, like young people's adventure book into graphic novel form. Gotcha. So that was actually quite a nice escape mm-hmm. uh, and kind of a return to my 12 year old okay. self okay. whenever moments of gravity and intensity within <laughs> right. March required it uh, I actually started writing come again before March. Mm-hmm. I started okay. really working on it around 2011 and um, and I would try intermittently to write and even pencil the book while doing the trilogy. And mm. oftentimes it was just the, the challenges and demands of March would not allow it. Mm-hmm. But I also kind of knew that the casserole wasn't totally baked. Gotcha. So uh, it was nice to be able to clear my headspace and mm. return to it intermittently. But yeah, in a lot of ways it was it was really refreshing, especially with so many other upheavals and stresses in – The the broad world Mm -hmm. uh, to be able to kind of spend the last year just going back into the cave of my imagination and Mm -hmm. making something that was, you know, personal, filled with questions and less tethered Mm. to the same set of responsibilities and duties. Well, if you're working on something while you're
0: working on something else, do the two bleed together? Do you find yourself drawing in a way you wouldn't want to draw in one space or do you have to kind of start over as a different kind of Nate Powell artist in a with a fiction work?
2: Uh, I guess both are true because the outcome exists as a reaction to that. Yeah, they do kind of bleed together. And so usually when I'm doing two books at the same time, I, I just sometimes arbitrarily decide on two different styles to, to change the gears in my head when I'm sitting at the drawing table. Uh, beyond that, uh, there are moments, for example, working on March really allowed me to hone my concreteness and my clarity of storytelling, uh, that enabled me to make a really weird piece of, uh, you know, emotional sci-fi fantasy, uh, you know, in a way that kind of kept it tethered to the earth hmm. and, uh, stylistically, I think, you know, I might have worked out a couple of things during March that finally got wings to fly mm-hmm. uh, a few months or a year later mm-hmm. when I got to the drawing table and Come Again.
0: I'll confess to not being much of a graphic novel reader or a graphic treatment reader. It's just not been the thing I've done. Maybe it's my age. Maybe oh, that's it's fair, yeah. Yeah, it's just a, a medium that hasn't, uh, I guess, uh, I- entered my life. And, and probably your March series was maybe the first serious attempt I'd, I made at it. My kids, I'd bought them you know, graphic novels for a while and I'd sort of leaf through to make sure it wasn't doing anything. Sure, I know how it is. I, know I should or is. shouldn't be buying them. It's a question I wanted to ask you too, you know, uh, in a medium that I grew up with as partly or as I always considered and as you joked about before we started recording, um, kind of um, uh, a much lighter child or um, a thing out of childhood primarily that, you know, moving into this era graphic treatments are as much or more even adult centered uh, as as art as entertainment as well and but but the medium itself is such a, a plastic one uh, such a fluid one that you know i'm sure there are many 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 children that are reading quote unquote graphic adult treatments, I don't want to use, we use the sure. word adult in a weird way in this country. Yeah. <laughs>
2: right? It's true, right. yeah.
0: right. Adult means sex, and I don't mean that, but uh, that's, of course, something we do treat of in adult comics, right? right?
2: The- thematic right. maturity. Thank
0: you. Mature, mature th- thematically, I suppose. Right. Um, is that something you think about
2: consciously when you're doing work at all? Certainly. I didn't, I have to admit, before I became a parent, and also before March Book 1 was published, in which, like, as soon as it was published, I finally... Uh, had some in-person um, interactions and reckonings with that, that revealed to me the scope and the scale of the effort that certain people, you know, librarians, teachers, bookstore owners, comic shop people, journalists uh, play as gatekeepers to put books basically at, in the attention spans and in the hands of people who might receive them and what that means and what they get out of it. Hmm. Um, I feel like, especially with March, it was really nice to help uh, be a part of that conversation in which, you know, comics as a medium and as a format are further legitimized and have less to prove. But I also have to take the time, especially when I'm speaking with Congressman Lewis and Andrew for Mm -hmm. March, to stick up for superhero comics because people – see things in a very dichotomous way it's Mm -hmm. either yeah it's it is kid stuff that are these superhero power fantasies or Mm -hmm. it is mature explorations of the human condition so i have to point out that (laughs) x-men are the comics that gave me a social conscience Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and allowed me to perceive my world in new and explosive ways and and really set me on a very different path as a young person Mm -hmm. so i mean as an industry comics are broad and rich enough there's room for all of this stuff so Mm -hmm. i feel like What we do as creators is we try to fight for the fact that, you know, comics is still a small pond, but there are actually a lot of ponds there, and there's plenty of room for all of it to fit. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it, at this point, refuses to be put in a... Us in a single box mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. a good
0: thing well you mentioned x-men there i know that that's part of uh, the one of the pieces that are in that uh, you don't say collection yes, uh where you mention your social consciousness coming out of uh, possibly at least being uh stoked by reading the x-men comic books my my brother was a big x-men fan and consequently he occasionally uh Prompted me to read them as well. He's younger than I am, but he would hand them up, so to speak, uh, which was always interesting and fun. Um, it's it's a nice thing to point out. Like uh, I think generally we struggle with uh, Batman's and Superman, um, you know, all the superhero that have very particular moral, ethic, you know, ethical frameworks, mm-hmm. right? That are, that are, that I, I, I guess personally I struggle with sometimes, right? Uh, sure. To try to understand how those frameworks teach us those ethical spaces, right? Teach us those, the way to be moral in a particular way. When, um, when I was looking at the, you don't say collection, and I think you know, I was going to, you know, my pithy way to say this is all that I know about Nate Powell. I know from, you don't say, right? It's a very... That's fair. Well, it's a very personal collection, right? It it's, is pretty
2: personal. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it happen, it's, it collects eight or nine years worth of stories that are sort of interspersed between my longer work. So, yeah, it is kind of a nice way to get a core sample mm-hmm. of interests, questions, concerns, right. fantasies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. it seems... Um,
0: I was going to ask if it has a sense for you as you put it together, if you wanted to, in in particular... Um, offer a kind of, for lack of a better term, um, like a, an education in, um, confronting moral questions. You know, how you look at the world is confronted at in this collection, you know, how you are, how, who you are, how you come to think about things, your own experiences And then how one considers borders or considers travel or considers, you know, any number of things in here, right? What it means to be a punk rocker, what it means to have your own space. Cakewalk is a a very important one. It's kind of in the center of the book as well.
2: Yeah, that's that's written by my wife, Rachel, Mm -hmm. uh, as is another story in there. But yeah, that's one of the few nonfiction stories uh, that I've done that takes place here in Indiana. And uh, especially in between a couple of different books. involving racism, power, and culture in America, uh, that was sort of a a nice breakout moment which allowed me to to explore different dimensions of American racism, especially Mm -hmm. outside of the American South from where I come. Mm
0: -hmm. You mentioned that specifically in the little... Little paragraph, as it leads into the story that your your sense that in the south uh, or I guess the idea that in the north there you you have the self proclamation of of le- less racism right For sure. but but uh, people from the south often say well that's not that 's not at all true you know when you come from the south to the north, you discover a very different kind of racism or a very um, and I think you point this out a very a racism born of um singular identity, right? Uh, uh, you know, there are only white people in Indiana. I mean, generally, this is the case outside of yeah, a if few... You, if we're
2: speaking broadly, <laughs> yeah, uh, f- yeah. large large yeah. swatches of Indiana, yes. Yeah. And, and this is something that I didn't really appreciate about, um, yeah, about American racism until I semi-permanently left the South and really settled here in Indiana. I was able to reflect upon uh, what it meant to grow up in the South in the 80s and the 90s and to have baby boomer Southerner parents. But once I was finally ready to unpack those last layers of baggage, deal with them, and be able to say something valid about that, uh, finally, then I was able to look around uh, in in the Midwest mm-hmm. and in the North mm-hmm. to, to see how those issues and how those questions applied here.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. I'm from a small town in Illinois, and I mean, there are zero other people in it other than white people. Sure. Um, and it didn't, like, it was one of those things that always shocked me about, you know how people talk about other people they have zero experience of other people, and yet they're happy to say any number of nasty you know derogatory things about other groups of people
2: w- when they feel they're in a quote safe space well,
0: generally so. yeah generally What's... they always feel like they're in a safe place in small Precisely, uh, yeah. small towns um it's 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 a wonder that people are any different than that,
2: certainly but yet I mean you know people from the smallest of small towns inevitably. You know, there's a there's a considerable cross section that has to get out of their town, sure. and that considerable cross section, <laughs> even if it is a minority cross section, right. uh, you know, suddenly finds the world, you know rushing around them. And, uh, you know, it's part of the, right. it, you know, it's one, one of the bright spots in the American experience is this compulsion to leave where you came from, mm-hmm. uh, and, and find what else is there and hopefully bring some of that back to mm-hmm. the place from which you mm-hmm. came.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, mentioning that sort of strikes me with the X-Men again, right? You've got a, a that kind of group of, of, uh, difference, right? That uh, yeah. you, you look to find other people that are different, in that space, you know alike in your differences in some sense, right uh, sometimes that's hard to do, but you yeah the uh was well, so that also leads us back into the place we were supposed to start right with a new book uh, sure. come again where where um people want to escape. The world around them, the the world as a, it's the 70s, right? So, oh, yeah. you know, what's going on in the world? Uh, it's this is post-60s, uh, the tail end of the 60s, the turn to Nixon, the turn to a new world order in some sense, maybe a turn to our current world order. Yeah. yeah.
2: It was actually the starting point. It worked out mathematically with what I really wanted to do in the book. But uh, 1979 was chosen as the primary setting for the book mm. because both in geopolitical senses and in a, in a cultural musical artistic sense. Uh, I feel it's very much Mm. a, a turning point in terms of the, the rising neoconservative movement taking over the Southern Baptist convention, Mm -hmm. the Iranian revolution, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. the arrival of, uh, of MTV, Mm -hmm. the shift from punk into new wave hip hop charting for the first time. Mm. Uh, it's really a turning point, I think, in terms of American culture.
0: Wow. That's a
2: lot. So I, I tried to bookend a lot of the book uh, by the yeah by seventy one and seventy nine mm-hmm. and sort of establishing this little decaying village mm-hmm. as being a place in which people tried to make sense and move forward from the implosion of the peace movement. No matter how we get out of our current uh, political crisis and and social crisis, um, it's important to pay attention to the ways that people have tried to make sense of their own subjective messes in Mm. decades past so Mm. i started paying attention to the utopian and dystopian visions throughout the first half of the 70s and how they played out Mm. and uh yeah it was just really uh, and also just a really nice way to stay in touch with my home state of arkansas Mm. and sort of explore and play in fiction uh in a different corner of the state Mm. um it's a it's a remote place but the Ozarks are the remotest of the remote mm-hmm. in terms of the American South
0: yeah it's um, it's portrayed generally as a pretty scary place um, it can be yeah. yeah yeah in film in particular and, and novels um, while at the same time hosting Branson
2: for sure yeah <laughs> right it's got yeah. those
0: contradictions
2: but, but then at the same time yeah it's it A place like Branson is only able to thrive because of, you know, if you think back 35 years or however long somebody put down... You know, their tourist trap right. uh, tent stakes because of that remoteness, mm-hmm. because of the untapped potential. That's right. That's a good point.
0: Yeah. So so you're exploring the fact that remoteness still brings you together with people. And once you're together with people, there's really very little remoteness in your daily life. Anyway, there's sure. there's the there's the small townness of even a a hidden haven.
2: You bet. Yeah. And especially when ideals are involved. Uh when ideals drove many people to to basically go for being back to the land or being off the grid, a community like that survives thanks to being so deeply interconnected. For everybody being up in each other's business, and you know some of this is, are, is reflections on growing up in and through punk or with a band made of my best friends who are essentially my family and how much how much of our energy was built towards making something together but how much of that was also just out of love and dedication for each other Mm -hmm. So reflecting on the decisions we make uh that are less in tune with our ideals or our better judgment Mm -hmm. but at a certain point having to having to reckon with being brought to a place by love or devotion for the people around you And knowing if or when it is time to finally stake out your own space. Mm.
0: Well, it's a complex story. Um, There's a lot of darkness in it. You mentioned this at the beginning. There's mystery, secrecy. Um, You know, it's not my intention to give anything away in this particular conversation. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things that I think, uh, for me, it was um, uh, threatening in many ways right and that's well that's i think that's the proper term it was a it's a threatening story in many ways and um but i wondered at the center of it your main character uh what she's threatened by you know what's 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 the threat in the book you know that's the key to me i guess that's what i'm supposed to be thinking about (laughs) what's
2: the threat me too i (laughs) I think over the process of refining the story and even during drawing it it's that quest that kind of refinement never stops Mm. Um, To me, yeah, that particular kind of menace and the reckoning that has to happen with our protagonist simply has to do with the ways in which, while her ideals have led her to this place, life in its day-to-day reality isn't exactly working out for her very well. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, all of the the ways in which the plot twists and turns and becomes complicated, dark, uh, arcane, magical... uh, these are largely products of her own continuing choices. And so a lot of this has to do with the dirty stuff that we are, you know, driven to do in secret uh, Mm -hmm. and the way, the ways in which relationships grow and crumble and fade and change. But it takes a moment of crisis to sort of reckon with the fact that so much of these, uh, these happenings are a result of, you know, Her choices, including the choice to do nothing, the choice to say nothing, the choice to keep things going because Mm -hmm. things were happening smoothly enough. And uh, I feel like the second half of the book sort of uh, speaks indirectly to a larger, you know, cultural conversation, which is I feel like the tone of menace in the second half of the book is terror at casualness in the face of an obvious crisis. Mm. And uh, it's like you know watch, watching the house burn down around you, but slowly, mm-hmm. uh, or watching watching a train approach that's mm-hmm. going to flatten someone, but it's it's coming at five miles per hour, mm-hmm. and wondering just how long people can pretend like the train is not approaching. Mm.
0: Well, you do have uh, obviously some of your images in there, uh, as you were saying, and when you mentioned train to me I was like, oh well, a lot of those frames do have that sense of train coming in at you from a tunnel like a dark tunnel, right and uh, you can look at it many ways you know with with that kind of light but but that was interesting that you mentioned it. did you intend it that way or
2: uh, not necessarily, but mm-hmm. I am. I am, however, driven as a cartoonist, but, uh, I'm driven to kind of embrace and exploit very stark graphic divisions of space, um, and time. So anytime, you know, you have a, a bouncing between past and present night and day dreaming and waking states, uh, underneath the earth and Mm -hmm. on top of it, um, to places of remembering and forgetting, uh, I'm definitely driven to use a lot of black ink Mm -hmm. and have very stark imagery. And so there, yeah, I, I found myself pushing further and further Mm -hmm. that contrast between dark and light as we thematically bounce back and Mm -hmm. forth. Amongst all those extreme relationships, hmm.
0: it's it's well done. The the a question I had a, it was not really a question, but uh, there are a couple of sexy f- frames in it, right? Uh, it is a little
2: steamy. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're this, this is my steamy. first steamy book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, there's like a, that a little bit surprised me, right? But they're fairly. I mean, they're fairly dark, and there's only one that I was like, oh, true, <laughs> true, yeah. So, but um, it. Um, I don't know what I wanted to say about that. It was just, you know, well,
2: it, yeah. It's it's interesting. I mean, uh, amongst my amongst my peers and, mm-hmm. and fellow cartoonists, that's not an unusual thing at all. Right. However, specific to I guess my career path, mm. it's very strange that I've pretty much I feel that I've always made my own work for adults because I make it for me and I'm an adult. Mm-hmm. However, a lot of my work has picked up a lot of steam with young adults, with teenagers, et cetera. Um, And so it was part of that was, it was a weird moment where I had to double down on what I trusted the story needed.
0: Mm.
2: Uh, And at the same time, if, if you, if you take a moment to compare what might be in prose fiction to what might be in a graphic novel, uh, like, you know, as 13 and 14 year olds, we, there are some pretty steamy passages in some very famous books. And granted, you know, you're using your imagination to conjure these images mm-hmm. but uh that that is one of these moments where i feel like comics are in a very unique position and have to really stake their claim clearly but also open themselves up to yeah to what that means mm-hmm. when visuals can be available mm-hmm. uh so yeah i, tr- I kind of tried to find a balance <laughs> between all of that without diluting right. the uh the necessary steaminess of mm-hmm. some of the book
0: mm-hmm. yeah I think you did that well, too. Again, it su- somewhat surprised me, and then I thought, well, that seems right there. I, don't, I think you did it right.
2: It's what young people do.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: so the, um, the, the question about, again, from you don't say having a, a very didactic purpose, right? There's, there's a kind of didacticism in, in this. The menace seems to happen in that space where I might think of it as judgment,
2: Certainly. Right?
0: Yes. So the menace comes in as a judgment of the actions. Is that proper? You Uh, think that's right? Yeah, I think it is
2: proper. And I guess in the context of keeping secrets that involve other people Mm -hmm. within this fictional community, um, it is fair to say that that judgment isn't unwarranted if you're dealing with a community that thrives itself on a balance of liberty and openness. Mm. And so – I guess it also involves figuring out exactly what I what I as the as the writer would mean by the difference mm-hmm. between privacy and secrecy, between privacy and intimacy, mm-hmm. and the ways in which they serve each other, but uh, the ways in which a private experience can turn can bleed into just being a secret. And mm-hmm. the deeper you can dig yourself into that hole as you try to sort of maintain this little plot of privacy you've gotten for yourself. So, yeah, uh, fear of judgment, I think oftentimes, you know, is warranted, mm-hmm. but it, it comes with recognizing that you've put yourself in a situation in which you value openness. You value, uh, sharing your experiences with your tiny little community around you. And that's how you, that's how all of you have survived for the last 10 years.
0: Nice. Now, uh, we're, we're out of time. Tell us, uh, what, you got some events coming up or event, uh, you have an event this weekend. Oh yeah, right? you bet. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah, this Saturday, I'll be doing a signing that's sort of the local debut of Come Again. That'll be at Vintage Phoenix on the town square. It's 114 East Sixth Street. And I'll be there Saturday from 2 to 4.
0: Thanks very much, Nate, for joining me.
2: Thanks. Pleasure as always. Awesome. We're
0: gonna party. Thanks for listening to this Arts Interchange episode. I'm Doug Storm, producer and host. Executive producer is Wes Martin. You can find many more Interchange episodes online at wfhb.org interchange. And the most recent 10 episodes are available on iTunes.